to White Oh yeah, are you ready to truck it? I'm Dooner here with the dude. Hey, welcome everybody. Good afternoon. Beautiful, uh, kind of grayish, but still a pretty nice day here in uh, Freight Alley, man. Winter. Yeah, <sighs> better better than the situation over in, in Fort Worth. Our uh, our our hearts, yeah. our hearts and thoughts are with. Uh, all the victims in that terrible crash there, if you've seen the video, I mean, some of those social videos, I mean, they, they only look, the outcome of that only looks worse and, and worse. So um, God bless all the victims that, that were impacted by that. We, uh, speaking of health, we had, we had a wonderful health and pharma conference on Wednesday. If you want to catch all those sessions, they're on demand now. Just look up Freycast wherever you get your podcast. Due to that event, though, we have a ton of guests on this show. We have five guests today. We had to cram them all in because of kind of a short week with a truncated what the truck at that conference. And uh, on the episode, we're going to be talking about how modern truckers are building their business with solid fundamentals and side hustles that are uh, turning small bucks into big bucks, right? Plus everything you need to know about everything you need to know about marine cargo insurance in 21, when to know when de- dedicated capacity is, to what is the way to go. Deliverite launches the first heavy goods delivery app for Shopify and how one comeback story turned a Landstar agent's life around. Before we get there, we got to tip the band. But also, guess what's up in the swag store? These hats, right? We got t-shirts, we got hats, swag.freightwaves.com. That's where it's at. Now, this episode is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships through outstanding customer service since 2007. Learn more at newlegendinc.com. But let's bring him up right now. He's the man of the hour. It's the Freight Bambino. Freight Bambino, yeah. thanks for joining us today. How are you guys doing? How's it going, man? Uh, you're covering up You're covering up that beautiful hat you have on your head, and that's one of the reasons I brought you on the yeah, show. I do. You're a truck driver, right? And I was watching this thing evolve on Twitter. You suddenly got this idea in your head to... Make some merchandise and start selling us. Walk us through this journey a little bit. What have you been doing with uh, Bambino Cattle Company? So it all started out on Twitter as a big old joke. I bought a cow at a cattle auction one time, goofing off with my friends. And so I tweeted about it because I sold it like 20 minutes after I bought it. And then everybody uh, tweeted how easy it was. And then everybody kind of popped in and they're like, Bambino Cattle Company. And then one of my designer buddies designed a logo and stuff. And so it kind of took off and everybody started asking for hats and shirts. And I was like, let's do it. And so I did. And it kind of took off. Everybody seems to like it. So kind of sold out of everything right now, but we're getting more stock in. So I love it. That a lot was better than I was expecting at first. That was uh, Eric. <laughs> that was Eric Serta who uh, put, put those hats together for you. Wasn't it? Yes. Uh, yeah. He, he designed the logo and stuff and did all the shirts and stuff. Yeah. Beautiful. So. That's amazing. Hey, what was the best part about owning uh, owning cattle when during your time there, 20 minutes as a cattle rancher? <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty great. Not having to deal with them at all is probably the best part, honestly. Was it was it a was it a uh holy cow, I just bought a cow? Oops. <laughs> Moment. Uh, no, I, I I grew up with a bunch of cows and stuff, so it wasn't okay. like it was completely crazy. So I mean I got a couple acres to put them, so it's not like it would have been the end of the world if I ended up having to keep it. But yeah. Not like somebody's pulling up in downtown Chattanooga, dropping off a cow for 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 Dooner. <laughs> no, I mean I've had cows before, so it's nothing new, really. Hey, gotcha. one of the one of the things you've done, like branding, is a hard thing. It's an important thing, but it can be a hard thing. And one of the things you have done, and this is one of those things, or it's organic, like the like the hats you made. You just started posting selfies, mirror selfies of yourself, putting your foot up. 
uh, in bathroom stalls. I think we have a bunch of pictures, and it's gone. It's gone kind of viral in trucking Twitter. There's so many people who have seen this pose that you do, and they've started uh, tweeting photos of themselves doing it at other rest stops. Even our own production team got into uh, got into the fray here. When did you start doing this, and are you surprised by how it's been adopted by the community? Uh, the first time I did, it, I think, was that picture that you noticed that one time when you called me the flyest guy on 18 wheel. <laughs> That was the first time I did it, and it kind of, I don't know, I've been posting pictures that way ever since, and it kind of took off. I don't know. People think it's funny because nobody else really does that, so <laughs> I don't know. You got to show off the boots, you know? Oh, I hear you. And there, the- there's the picture. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the great. And if you guys are watching, if you're if you're listening to this version, you, I, I implore you to watch the video version so you can see all these uh, great pictures of the trucking community and, and what they're doing over at these rest stops. It's exciting stuff. And look, you're making some money now, too. You you recently took some of your winnings and bought um, a uh, relatively ugly wagon wheel lamp. <laughs> Where did you come across that? Good. Um, I was at Goodwill <laughs> trying to find decorations for the house and I got myself a wagon wheel lamp. I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, for seven dollars. What are you going to do? I can't pass it up. Like <laughs> antique wood. Look kind of cool, I thought. Make your house feel a little more homely. For for seven bucks, you can't. It's really hard to do that. Well, so, hey, hey, you know, so uh, Mr. Bambino, if that is your real name, have you been surprised on how supportive really the trucking Twitter has has been of, of what you're doing oh, there yeah. with, the, with that? Group? I wasn't expecting it to take off near as bad, big as it has. I mean. When I first did it, I mean, I ordered way too much stuff or so I thought, but we sold out of everything like within the first day. I couldn't believe it. It's crazy. Like, I don't know. I really appreciate everybody for all the support and stuff. It means the world to me. So this is the first so. time you've ran a shop before too, right? Like an online e-commerce uh, personal branded item store? Yeah, no, I've never done this before. This is all new to me. Just kind of popped off off Twitter. And so I decided why not try it? it's a learning experience so i like learning new stuff so kind of worked out in that that way so what have you what have you learned so far so it's other truck drivers they want to start a side hustle they want to bring another revenue stream in like you are with this uh with this apparel what what have you learned what would you tell them to do what what should they watch out for um i mean i really don't know i kind of got thrown into this i'm still new to it i really don't know all that much about it but like just having, if you're going to sell stuff, kind of have a thing set up so that, you know, you're getting it shipped. Even if you're on the road, make sure that everything's kind of getting taken care of. So Yeah, that's what I was That's what I was going to ask you. Who's doing the fulfillment while you're running around? Are you driving around with your inventory and, and shipping it from where you happen to land after somebody orders it? Or who's who's running your fulfillment and everything? No, I have a little sister that does all that. So there you go. she's still in high school. And so she needs a little side hustle herself after school. So she's been doing that. She's been doing a great job appreciate her a bunch so get it off you know people get their stuff a lot sooner than it would be if i had to wait till i got home or whatever so yeah i sent so i sent you a what the truck hat and when i went to the post office they were like is this a real address because i think you you kind of live out in the middle of nowhere right yeah i live in the boonies yep <laughs> you have one of those addresses too that's like mile markers and stuff it's like road dot six and you know yep so yeah it's out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> so what's your Next so what's question, you What's your next move? You've you've said you sold out of the gear, right? So you're going to double down on this enterprise here and try and see if you try your hand at just building this thing out and see how far you can build this whole truckerpreneur thing out. Oh yeah, for sure. No, I like the day that they started selling, and I was about halfway done, uh, halfway sold out, and I ordered more, I'm just waiting for it to come in. Now, I mean, with uh, Corona and stuff, everything's taking a little bit longer than I was expecting. So 
hopefully comes in soon. But yeah, I'm definitely going to try to keep growing it. I mean, get your gear at BambinoCattleCompany.com. We love heifers of all sizes. <laughs> it's good stuff, man. Well, where's where's, where's your next? Uh, where's your, where's your next load? Where are you pulling to next? Uh, I'm actually head right after this. I'm heading to go get loaded in Wenatchee, and I'm headed over to uh, Kansas City, Missouri. So I'm gonna haul a load of apples. Beautiful. So, yep. Well, drive safe out there. There's been bad weather throughout the United States. We saw what happened in Fort Worth. So, you know, stay safe, brother. And thank you for thank you for joining us today and telling us a little bit of insight into uh, how you started this company. I think it's really cool. And I also think that more truckers and more people in general should should start a side hustle, bring in more revenue streams. Oh, for sure. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, Thanks Bambino. So Absolutely. Thank easy. you. Wow. Have a good one. So cool, man. So cool. He just he just took it upon himself to go ahead and uh, and make those hats, and he turned he turned a joke into reality, right, Michael? And we talked to so many founders and CEOs on here, and so many times, like the idea to start a company is just like, why doesn't this exist? Or I should do it. And there's not a ton of due diligence, right? Like it's learned on the fly. No, it's, it's learned as you go. He doesn't. He he's in the cattle company. He doesn't own cattle. He has nothing to do with cattle. <laughs> he for twenty minutes he owned one as a joke, and now it's Bambino Cattle Company, and people are buying his gear. And I love it. I will be a customer. No, I dig it too. He actually said he might be sending us some stuff too, so we'll keep an eye out for that. That's sweet. That's sweet. I hope he gets more more gear going. I mean, he had boots and belt buckle. I mean, he could the whole deal, man. Hey, do you I know where he could get some uh, gear? Do you want to talk Pretty to cool. someone who has an MBA out of the Ohio State University now? Uh, a fellow Buckeye? Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, then let's bring on Mark Kunar. He's the EVP of Strategy, Transportation Automotive, Engineering and Manufacturing, Chemical and Energy, North America at DHL Supply Chain. That is, uh, that's a lot of titles, Mark. Uh, can you introduce yourself a little bit? What do you do on the day-to-day over there? So I do uh, a couple of different things. So I have teams that work with me you know, in transportation, in strategy, and then also a couple of our business units. We run our business along industry vertical lines. So automotive, EM, and uh, chemical and energy are the, are the verticals that I take care of. Very I cool. I don't have a side hustle yet. I need a side hustle, I guess, <laughs> now. <laughs> well, if, well, let's, let's ask yeah. you, before we get into real business here, if you had a side hustle, what do you think would be a good one to jump into in 2021? Um, slippers. Everybody's wearing slippers now, right? Oh, yeah. You probably have your slippers on right now, don't you? I'm barefoot, but uh, Vincent may. <laughs> uh, no, barefoot. Sorry. <laughs> but I love where you're going with that athleisure. I mean, you know, pants, dress pants were, you know, they took a nosedive last year. Nobody was buying pants. Yeah. <laughs> well, let, let's get but it. Hey, OH, brother, what's uh, what's going on there? You've, you've got. What have you seen change through the years? 25 years at DHL, you've seen a lot of industry changes. A lot of things happened last year. But tell us about your 25 years. What have you seen change? You know, I, when I started, we were, uh, we were a really small company. I, you know, a guy, uh, an industry veteran named Bruce Edwards used to run the, the business, and he knew everyone. He knew my kids. He knew everyone within um, – with, it used to be Excel at the time, and Man, things have changed since then. You know, a, a relatively small company that, that came up through acquisition and now part of the the DHL beast. You know, so it's it's things have changed a lot. The the digitalization, the automation. You know, what we're able to provide to customers is just uh, worlds apart from where we started. You know, twenty years ago. Mark, one of the things you provide to customers is dedicated capacity, right? What is the state of dedicated capacity? And uh, how do you decide if uh, dedicated capacity is right for your business, especially this year? Well, I think 
you know, well, we're in a unique year for sure. And, um, and so in the past, you know, people have looked at these large TMS investments that they've made, you know, whether it's uh, Blue Yonder or, or Oracle or, or some of the other large TMS investments and said, well, I've made these investments with auto tendering. I can do track and trace and all these things. So why do I need a dedicated fleet now? So I think there's still some fundamental things that are going on, you know, so if you're, if your freight needs hand printed, um, to take off the truck, if, you, if, you, if there's a lift gate requirement, you know, if you have tight um, delivery windows with your customers, you know, there, there's still time and place for dedicated. And then set that aside and then think about the capacity issues that we've had this year. So all-time high tender rejection rates, you know, spot rates went through the roof, you know, contract rates went up, you know, substantially beginning in June of this year. So I think there's a little bit of securing your capacity still um, to, to take a look at with a dedicated fleet. And, and then there's also those old requirements around, hey, I've got to pull the freight off the truck and I, I've got to train the driver to do that. So. Yeah, very good. So it went, once you've looked at this, and I, I, I would suspect, Mark, that you look at your, you look at your entire operation, and you, you decided it may not be the entire thing that goes dedicated, but there's specific parts that make more sense, right? But once you've made that decision and you're in there, how do you make sure that you get the most out of it? Is it making those type of decisions up front, and and who you choose, and what what is it there that you need to really be looking at to make sure that you're getting the best out of investing in a dedicated fleet? Well, I mean, it, it's, it comes down to cost, right? So what's the cost of the dedicated fleet compared to a contract fleet? And the big three costs are the driver, the truck, and fuel. So, you know, most dedicated fleets have invested in some kind of fleet management system, but it's really about how do you pull all of those pieces together, whether you're, you're looking at where you're fueling, your idle time, what your overspeeds are, you know, everything to, you know, how am I managing my drivers? How do I keep my drivers right in that window of, of you know, between 45 and 50 hours a week, you know, where they want to work and how much time they want to work. And then finally, it gets down to the utilization of the vehicle, right? So how do I, how do, although it's a dedicated piece of equipment and I know I've got to load every day at eight o'clock and I got to, I have a route that I need to run. Um, how do we make sure that that truck's being used on off times as well? And so, um, combining all those three into kind of an integrated approach is 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 really what you have to do in order to kind of keep the utilization up. You know, service is paramount when you have a dedicated fleet, right? So how do you go about picking the right partner to 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 run that dedicated fleet for you? What are some questions that shippers should be asking themselves? Well, I think you've, you've got to ask what, what their driver turnover looks like, right? So, you know, there's a lot, generally a lot of training that goes into you know, getting a driver and teaching them, you know, about um, about the freight. We have a lot of customers where we're actually entering their premises at night uh, when they're not there. So you got to have trust with the driver. The driver has to has, you know, often has have to have keys, um, and they have to feel as though that that driver is part of them. So to me, it's a lot about how do you treat your drivers, how do you get your drivers, what your driver turnover is, because at the end of the day. Um, those are the people that are going to make the lasting impression. Yeah. So, Mark, uh, you know, you you have uh, dedicated fleets and you have managed transportation, right? They're they're not exactly the same thing, right? And, and you can cross those lines. Uh, so, w- what's the difference here, right? What's what's the difference between a, a managed uh, transportation and a, and, a, and a dedicated having a dedicated fleet? Well, you know, 
the, the way I look at it is, is managed transportation is managing the whole portfolio. It's, it's looking at, you know, how do we consolidate freight? How do we make sure that we're, we're picking um, the best carriers at the lowest cost for specific lanes? It's about, you know, how do we make sure that we're, um, we're looking at multi-stop truckloads versus, you know, sending things out on LTL. So it's, it's really about getting smarter about how we tender the freight in the transportation management world. On the dedicated side, it's kind of we've at, we've already made that decision on how we're going to run the, the the freight, and and really it's about how do we set up the right service quality for the customer. Has has demand for dedicated increased since the pandemic began? You know, it, it's um, I think everybody's been running around with their hair on fire, quite frankly. So everybody's just been running around saying, "How do I get my loads covered?" So I. I'm hopeful at this point in time, a lot of shippers going to step back and say, okay, I'm not going to go through that again. Um, and what am I going to do to make sure that I control my own destiny a little bit? And I think some of that's going to be, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to pay for some dedicated capacity. And, um, and that might mean that that's a little bit more expensive at times. But we also know that spot rates went through the roof. So yeah. You know, is it really more expensive when you look at spot rates and, and how they've climbed at different points, you know, October, November this year? They were just, you know, out of this world. Yeah. Um, you, and th- if you can get goods to your customer, then you're missing sales, right? Yeah. Well, Mark, the reason I was going to ask, too, is Michael Vince and I on this show we, last year, we talked uh, the term mini bids came up a ton. So it seemed like people were just looking for short term types of contracts and maybe not. The dedicated, but this year we're seeing the impact that the contract market is having right now on the spot market. So that that's kind of my curiosity there. If uh, more of that money was also pouring into the the dedicated side, yeah, yeah, it it there they take a little bit time to set up, so it's it's been a little bit slow to the draw. But I would expect uh, you know we're starting to see a ton of activity at the beginning of this year, and and people getting a lot more serious about it. And your LLP, you know, if you've got an LLP, they should be talking to you about these types of things because. You know, there there is a certain piece of your capacity that you can say, look, I know this is going to run I, I and I'm going to run this, um, you know, with my fleet because these are my most important customers. They have pipe delivery and, and, and what have you. Excellent stuff, Mark. Really appreciate that. So uh, people want to learn more and have discussions about private, uh, about dedicated fleets and, and what those advantages are, how to make those decisions. Where do they go more? Uh, where do they go to to learn more about DHL's uh, transportation capabilities? So we took a, a clue off of you guys and we started our own podcast. It's called uh, All Business, No Boundaries. And um, so you can Google All Business, No Boundaries, or you can go to www.dhl backslash all business, no boundaries, and uh, you can find us there as well. So uh, a number of ways that you can get a, get a hold of uh, uh, Yellow and Red. Thank you so much, Mark. Uh, it's a pleasure having you on the show today. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Mark. Hey, now we're going to jump over to uh, Windsor, Ontario, Canada, and we'll talk to Stephen Roy. He's president and owner of the Landstar Agency, but what we're going to talk about him is his uh, journey getting there. You know, I put up that post, we've done it a few times on here, those comeback stories about how, you know, transportation is such a great place to find a second or third life or or renewed hope in your career, and I think that's one of the things that makes this uh there's such a diverse and great group of people. We come from all these different backgrounds. So, Stephen Roy, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate uh, giving me the time. Oh, yeah. Well, of course. Well, you wrote a great uh, reply to that comebacks post that I had put on LinkedIn. Can you walk us through that journey a little bit? What is your comeback story? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I think transport, everybody seems to have a story, you know, and um, my humble beginnings and my humble story, um, as a kid coming out of uh, college and I didn't know what the heck to do with myself, um, went to school for business admin marketing and, uh, you know, Windsor is a small town and um, registered with a personnel agency who got me an interview with a, uh, a Canadian expedite company and had a, had a few interviews with them and really liked, um, it seemed like they had a really nice setup and, and the management team that I interviewed with uh, really enjoyed talking to them. They gave me a chance and uh, I gave them a chance and, you know, I was tracking uh, expedite loads and it was uh, back in 97. It was, it was hot and heavy, um, you know, hundreds of loads a day um, from, you know, we never knew where the next one would go. So from there, a um, handful of years later, uh, got into sales and a combination of sales um, and operations in the air charter business. And um, after that, I moved on to um, helping a couple of companies in Michigan um, start up uh, non-asset based divisions of their companies and uh, help build teams and help develop a client base and uh, learned a heck of, heck of a lot, um, you know, through those years. You know, I think deep down, my wife will tell tell you that she she knew that I would start my own business at one point. We had uh, conversations um, as as time was going on through these years. But I think the real the real big change came, you know, in um, 08, 09, um, being up where we are um, very automotive focused um, and connected to automotive companies. And um, that scared the heck out of me. You know, it uh, it shut down a lot of uh, small to medium-sized trucking companies that um, were a similar structure to the one that I was working for at the time. And, uh, you know, I heard of companies, uh, bank loans being pulled out and companies shut down the next day. And that really made me think, you know, what, uh, what am I doing right now and how can I control uh, my future and destiny and and put food on the table for my family and my young girls. Steven, Steven, uh, Steven, before we, we let, yeah. let's put some context to that too, especially for those younger in yeah, transportation absolutely. who didn't live through that moment. Like, for example, I worked at FedEx Trade Networks during that that crash and they had never fired anyone as long as I had been here, right? And then one day they pulled like 30 people into a room. I wasn't one of them. They put 30 people into a room. They gave them an, an envelope with a severance package and they were out the door that quickly. Right. I mean, it was yeah. getting scary. They took uh, they took the, the plastic forks and spoons out. You know, they took out the sweet, low and sugar for the coffee. They took out the water machine. It was a scary time. Yeah, no, agree. You know, funny you mentioned the coffee thing. You know, I think we're looking at reducing coffee costs and, and you know, all the staff um, at the time um, took pay cuts, um, including myself. And I was I was my main role at the time was selling you know, selling. And as I was making cold calls to new prospects, majority were, were not operating right now, or we're planning to close our doors for good. And that those were some really difficult calls, uh, calls to, to, uh, you know, talk to other folks about. Yeah, absolutely difficult. I, I, you know, I was at a, in a, in a former life at that time and we lost 35% of our top line revenue in, in, in that one year. And we were highly, highly, uh, uh, associated or, or in, we were intertwined with the, uh, home building market, which is totally 
crashed. So we were totally in the middle of it. Thank the Lord. We, we started diversifying into other things before that, which really saved us uh, really just by, you know, future proofing ourselves, not knowing the bubble was going to come obviously. But during that time, and you're going through this area and you knew that you had these issues and, and, what was the most challenging thing? Was it making that leap and saying, I'm going to trust in myself other than other people? Or what, what was the hardest thing to do? What was the most biggest challenge to make that leap? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when you have a paycheck being paid by an employer, you know, that that's your comfort zone. And to make a change away from that um, it is, it's a big step. Um, you know, some people may may be more confident or may be connected to more entrepreneurs or or um, small business owners. At the at that time, I wasn't. You know, I was lucky to have some some solid guidance by my uh, my father in law, who uh, was a business owner um, for years here in town, and uh, gave me some guidance. But I think, you know, at, at that time, I was watching. You know, I I live in Canada. I'm a dual citizen, and at the time. Um, gas prices were going up. Um, the Canadian dollar was also going up and I took a pay cut to, to help the company I was working for out. So I was spending a couple hours a day driving to and from work, um, to and from Michigan and back. And, um, you know, I was, I was kind of seeing from a wage standpoint, it wasn't getting, it was getting to a point where I wasn't controlling, um, the, the future. And uh, I thought, you know, I had enough years in both sales and operations that I felt comfortable, you know, I, at least I can make, you know, a thousand phone calls and turn a couple pieces of business on that uh, could replace a paycheck. And if, if things go very well, you know, years down the road, um, we can have, have a few employees and, uh, you know, not only feed our families, but uh, feed some other families and, and take great care of customers. And I, I think that that was a major thing too. you know, go, working for small companies um, growing up. I, I didn't work for a large cor- corporate uh, transport company. So there were times where there's a piece of as I was selling, sometimes it didn't feel like the service was quite up to my expectations. And and my expectations are extremely simple. And that's taking very good care of people, um, listening to the customer and, uh, you know, we're in the expedite mode. Um, everything we touch pretty much has a sensitivity to it. So um, constant communication and, and again, treating the customer extremely well and treating our own employees extremely well. Um, those are things I always wanted to do and be part of. And that, uh, you know, as I was exploring what to do next, um, you know, key criteria to a, a company that uh, I chose to to partner with. Yeah, absolutely. Those of you in the comments, if you if you made it, if you worked in supply chain through 08 through that crisis, leave your experience there too. I'm curious. It was it was a, it was a scary time, but it's one of those moments like we saw in March where there were you know a ton of firings, unemployment 14.8%. It creates these catalysts though, right? Like if there's one good, it creates a catalyst and it creates opportunity at maybe the scariest possible time like it had for you. What's been the most rewarding, though? Because you had to convince the family, right? You ended up on the right sure. side of it. You've been doing what you've been doing for over 10 years now. So what, what, what's been the most rewarding about this journey so far? Yeah, you know, I think it's um, really I, I give credit to, to our staff. Um, you know, we brought on, we now have about uh, 14 people working for us and we brought them all in with little to zero transportation experience. 
and it's been while it's a slow slow moving process to uh, to train them um man they uh, they're starting to build confidence now and are starting to grow and uh, you know at the end of the day it feels good to to see that and you know we we've been lucky that a couple of customers or a handful of customers have recognized our philosophy our way of treating people and uh you know with our independent landstar agency we've we have the ability to say yes. And that, that was always a key thing through my career. I want to say yes to the client, you know, an extremely high percentage of the time. And, uh, you know, what we have now ha has gotten us there. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, being a business owner um, gives me a little more flexibility to do some things I want to do. And 10 years, um, you know, into, into the business, we, this week, we just launched uh, an air charter and uh, air freight division too. So, um, like you said, with, with the COVID, um, you know, the COVID thing going on right now, um, it, it develops new opportunities. And I had a few, uh, few folks come to me, um, talking about employment, to, uh, to create this air, air charter piece. So it's, awesome. uh, it, it's been an exciting ride. That's excellent, Steven. So people, if they want to connect with you on LinkedIn and maybe hear more about your journey or work or partner with you, uh, where would they go? Yeah, we, uh, are. Our web link is uh, roytransglobal.com. You can find myself or Roy Trans Global Logistics um, on LinkedIn as well. And uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, you know. Have a great weekend. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Stephen. All right. Again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and is West Regional's premier freight transportation company. Learn more at newlegendinc.com. Michael Vince, I'll tell you, 08, I had a job, right? Never walked in there a single yeah. day worried about my job. That day they, they you know, asked 30 people. I never went in there again not being, <laughs> without being worried about my job. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, twice in twice my life. Uh, so, nine uh, eleven and then oh eight uh, has made me uh, fear for my job uh, much more. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever be a hundred percent secure in anything because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, those moments definitely change your perspective. You know, who, someone here that we're going to have on now, he might change your perspective on insurance, especially marine cargo insurance. Rick Bridges, he's a gentleman that I've known for most of my life. He actually used to work under my father at Roanoke. Um, when my dad retired, Rick took over for him. He is vice president, client development and new product development at Roanoke Trade out of West Newbury, Massachusetts, which I believe is also John Cena's hometown. It's Rick Bridges. Rick, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. How are you guys doing? Rick, I love the shirt, man. Hey, thanks. Yeah. Uh, welcome from the great white north. I think the last time, <laughs> Vincent, I don't know if you saw Rick at uh, Air Cargo Nashville, but I believe that's the last time uh, I've been at an in-person event, Rick. So you're one of the last person, people in this industry I've seen out in public that wasn't like a Freight Waves person. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was a great conference. You know, we're hoping to have another great one in, in person uh, next year. Uh, we've had to make that pivot to virtual. Uh, the Air Cargo Conference has now been broken up into a series of webinars. Uh, we had a great one uh, just the other week with Pete Mento, um, and uh, our next one is coming up. It's um, right around the corner, uh, and we've got um, Tom Schmidt, uh, Chairman, President, CEO from Forward Air, uh, along with uh, Brian Clancy from Logistics Capital Strategy. So kind of a look ahead at the uh, freight economy uh, in uh, the new year. 
as well as discussion on, uh, you know, infrastructure, um, uh, you know, freight market verticals and kind of the rebalancing of the air cargo industry. So that we have coming up March 24th. And uh, for folks who want to check that out, it's at the aircargoconference.com. Nice. Well, Rick, what's yeah. going Rick, let's get into the like what's going on in the water here. Let's get into a little bit of insurance because between November 30th and January and January 31st, more than 2600 containers have fallen overboard. And that is double the annual average and we're just a 2-month period into the year um right now. What is happening with that? How big of a problem is it and what can shippers do to protect themselves? All great questions. Um it's it's a huge problem. You know, we've seen um, you know, obviously the advent of the mega ships have um, um, really been the root cause of the issue. I think when mega ships came online, steamship lines were touting their efficiencies, economies of scale. Um, but we're starting to see the, uh, you know, the, the chinks in the armor here with, um, you know, putting all your eggs in one basket, so to say. Uh, you know, these vessels are uh, much bigger and you have much more. Oh, do we got Rick's audio? We need Rick's audio back up. Yeah, he froze up there. Oh, but I, I, yeah. No, go for it, Michael. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I was following his line of thought, and, and that's what I was going to ask him. Is it is it more containers on the water? We're seeing this massive amount of containers this year, but I think he's going down the track that these major, like all eggs in one basket. I mean, he's literally talking about more eggs in one basket. The baskets are bigger. These ships are bigger. They're less nimble. And therefore, when one gets in trouble, it's a bigger spill of containers than the smaller ships, I think is where he was going with that. Well, good news. He's back. So let's find out. Rick is Carry on about that. We're, so we're talking about the containers falling out into the sea. And Michael was opining that he thinks uh, he thinks you were alluding that maybe it's the size of the vessels. Yeah, vessels are getting much bigger. So you can imagine a you know vessel that's, uh, you know, uh, hundreds of feet tall, pitching from side to side. Um, those containers above the first four on uh, on deck are only held together with those little pin locks on the four uh, corners of the container. Um, so any kind of issue where you have either the freight inside the containers moving uh, or um, those pin locks uh, not being um, properly attached to each other, it, it creates a domino effect. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what we've also seen is um, container uh, vessel fires. And you just can't get enough uh, water up onto those stacks once they've caught fire uh, to put out those uh, fires. Uh, so they're literally burning until they can pull them into port and start putting them out with conventional firefighting uh, methods. So in a way, the size, I think, has helped uh, steamship lines manage cost. Um, but now the issue is the, uh, the exposure is being shifted to the shippers. And... You know, granted, we're selling cargo insurance. We're providing insurance for physical loss or damage, right? But the bigger mm -hmm. issue is the delay. So the delay of the cargo, that cargo on, on board that vessel that goes into port, um, where now that vessel is having to be discharged by conventional cranes, not the container gantry cranes, where they're pulling off... 10, 15 containers a day, not the hundreds that they would normally pull off. So this, the poor shippers are now getting caught with buyers that are either canceling orders uh, or buyers that are significantly discounting product because of the delay. The yeah, Rick. 
you know, Rick, I was going to bring that up. We were just looking at video of of all the of San Pedro Bay and the 30, 40, 50 ships that are sitting there at anchor over there off the West Coast. Right. And, and ask that. I, I'm glad you're going into this because how does insurance protect against the losses that are there? That I mean, potentially from a storm or potentially from like you're saying right now, delays and then lost orders. I was making that joke the other day, and hopefully you can uh, give us a little more insight into this. How much freight is sitting on those ships right now that has been refused already? Billions. I mean, you look at a mega vessel, uh, the video that you have there, one of those in the foreground, there could be a billion dollars worth of cargo on any one vessel. Um, So you just start adding that up and it's a lot of freight. Uh, the physical loss or damage component, you know, that's covered. That's easy. It's covered under mm-hmm. cargo insurance. But the delay issue, it's uninsurable. Um, and this is where we're starting to see real issues in the supply chain um, and our customers being affected more so in their relationships with their their own customers downstream. Um, it's a challenge. And um, I think there there can be solutions, but everybody's got to get involved. Um, you know, a federal maritime commission, I think needs to put more pressure on steamship lines to create a beefier, uh, you know, shippers bill of rights, if you will, um, to mandate that there's more transparency in the whereabouts of a container. You know, so if your, your cargo is stuck on a ship that's had general average, can you find out if yours is okay or yours is the one that's been overboard, gone overboard? Um, simple things like that, I think, go a long way. And we have the, the, the technologies to start doing this. We just have to start getting the steamship lines to invest in that. Yeah, Rick, I used From, to, Rick, I used to sell, when I was working at uh, brokerages, I used to sell marine cargo insurance, but whenever a shipper would turn it down, it would, it would kind of, you know, be like, what are, what are you guys doing? What are you thinking here? What would you say to, to shippers who are turning down their cargo insurance? What is one thing that they should really know? What, they, what should they leave this interview with? With ocean shippers, they have to understand that the minute they put cargo on board a vessel, they have a liability. So the cards turn to the shipper having the liability and not the steamship line. And that liability of the shipper is general average. So when containers go overboard or when a, when a container vessel has to get towed into port because its engine quit, this, the shipper has to pay a portion of those costs. Um, and those costs in the old days... It could have been 5% of the value of your cargo. Mm-hmm. But with general average incidents now, we're seeing general average contributions, the amount that the, steam, the steamship line is demanding of the shipper, 50%, 60%. Last year, we saw one 125%. And what that means is if you're a shipper with $100,000 worth of cargo on the ship, if you want your cargo discharged, you have to pay that general average contribution. Otherwise, the steamship line has the legal right to hold your cargo. That's written within a bill of lading. Um, I think a lot of shippers forget that that bill of lading is a contract between the shipper and the steamship line, and there's no do-over once there's a general average. That's a binding contract. Mm-hmm. So I, I think for the shippers that are rolling the dice, um, you know, they can only do so and, and win so many times uh, you know, at, at this crap table, they're going to lose at some point. 
I have to, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, marine cargo insurance is relatively cheap, especially when you compare it to the uh, cost of goods, those billions of dollars that are stuck on those vessels or those ones that are falling overboard. Because when those containers fall overboard, you can have to share in that loss with that vessel as well. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's the general average concept that I described. Um, and you're right. Cargo insurance is very inexpensive. It's a, a small line item. Um, you know, certainly if you're, um, you know, small, mid-sized shipper, you have the convenience of buying it through your freight forwarder uh, or customs broker. You don't have to worry about the complexities of it. You can let them worry about that. Um, it's it's peace of mind, um, you know, as, as a cliche there, but it's really, it really is. Um, and for the forwarder to, to provide that coverage, it's important too, because in a way it protects the forwarder's receivables. Should something go wrong and that, that shipper tries to walk away from their obligation. Yeah, but shippers ultimately have to understand that they are responsible, especially if their inco terms put them responsible, right? You you can't just go blaming your broker or something if you're like in FOB or something, right? And the and that cargo is is yours for the journey. It's it's your duty to make sure you have the right coverage on that. If they want to get the right coverage, they want to reach out to you, Rick. Where should we send them? Rick.bridges at Roanokegroup.com. You can find me on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, Rick Bridges. Uh, and uh, yeah, pr- please reach out. Any questions? Uh, happy to talk about the intricacies of general <laughs> average. Uh, we actually have a webinar coming up next week. Uh, it is uh, actually it's on the 24th. Um, you can go to RoanokeTrade.com and uh, and sign up there. We've already got over 300 participants um, between the one APIS and Maersk Essen. Mm. There's a lot of freight that is either. Oh, yeah. Uh, on the bottom or stuck on a ship somewhere and people are starting to to ask a lot of questions. Rick, thank you once again. Don't be a stranger. We'll have you back on the show soon because this is a meaty topic and there's way more that we could have covered. So thank you, especially ransomware. I'd love to talk about ransomware maybe with you next time. I'll I'll DM you after the show and see if maybe we can set something up. But uh, once again, we appreciate your time today. Have a great weekend. All right. Thanks, guys. You too. Take care. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Rick. Hey, one of one of their associates over in Long Beach, Vincent, he um, I commented on he was on yeah. like his uh, yacht or something. And he took a picture and there was a, a vessel out and he's like, you know, being out on the boat, seeing the vessel. And I said, wow, beautiful shot. He invited us on his boat to do a podcast. So next time we're in Long Beach, maybe we can do one right from the water. Talk about immersive oh, yeah. podcasting. Sounds perfect. We could just we yeah, maybe we could interview some people on those ships all anchored out there. <laughs> Nice. So uh, as Doug Layden, now we're going to go to Doug Layden. He's co-founder, CEO at Deliverite out of New York, New York. Doug, you had some exciting news that just came out about launching a new app on Shopify's site that addresses a big problem that uh, is emerging in e-commerce, especially when talking about those heavy goods. Welcome to the show. Introduce yourself. Thanks very much. I really appreciate being here with you guys. Um, so uh, I'm Doug Ladin, and uh, Deliverite is a business that we started, my partners and I started about five years ago, because we saw the need for getting logistics and transportation managed for heavy goods that uh, the e-commerce world didn't have a, a way to get done before. So UPS and FedEx, they won't handle well, furniture. They won't handle you know, washers and dryers. It's, it's a market niche that's definitely not served. And we knew that you needed to apply technology to this industry as well as service. And so we started, uh, we started Deliverite to address the need. And fortunately, as our tech, has, uh, our tech capabilities have grown 
and our coverage area has grown. We've really been able to help our customers get heavy goods deliveries made all around the country. And that's led to the recent news about Shopify. Yeah. So, uh, Doug, very interesting. When I was in uh, LTL, you know, we handled heavy goods uh, from time to time delivery to, uh, you know, to, to residents. And, uh, you know, we never looked forward to it. Right. It was something that we had to do. And so it wasn't very handled very well. Right. I mean, because it was just one of those necessary things, you know, find a lift gate, get it done. And, and so like, so service was was pretty bad. Actually, it was like, get it off the truck and leave before they refuse it. We have to go pick it up and get out of there. So, but, but this is a totally different story. This is, this is a deal. This is your why. Tell us about the deal with Shopify and what's going on there and, and what your services are. Sure. And, and, uh, you know, and to your point about LTL, not really enjoying the, uh, the final mile delivery experience. Look, LTL and the tractor trailers, they're made to move lots of goods from one dock to another dock. They're not made to drop off uh, an item or several items at a customer's home in a neighborhood. You know, right. getting, getting tractor trailers to move through Manhattan or Brooklyn or any, you know, city, congested city environment is not anything that a driver wants to put up with. So being able to connect the tractor trailer LTL world to the final mile world with box trucks, with teams that, that are dedicated every day to going into people's homes and delivering heavy goods. That's part of the, part of the, uh, the magic that we offer our customers. Uh, the, the Shopify news is really a reflection of how far we've been able to come with the technology because, you know, lots of retailers have been trying to figure out how to sell online. They've all been trying to figure it out in the years before COVID-19, you know, erupted. But since COVID-19, when retailers really had to shut their physical locations, they needed to move online. And a lot of them have figured out how to use Shopify as their online storefront. You know, it's, it's not easy for brick and mortar stores to figure out how to build their own websites and take credit card information and transact with the public. So they use Shopify to do that. And, and the next link that you need once you've been able to figure out how to sell the goods is, well, now you're a retailer who's bought based in the Boston area and you have a customer that's purchased a, a sofa from you in Seattle. How are you going to complete that transaction? And so now with the Shopify app that we've built, you connect your store with Deliverite. You just click on it. And then on the back end, Shopify sends all of the order information to Deliverite through our Grasshopper technology platform. And all of the order information goes automatically into our system. We arrange the first mile pickup, transportation to the final mile hub, and then delivery to the customer's home. And the retailer knows exactly how much it's going to cost them up front to do this. All the pricing is built in. So it's a very seamless process. And it's, it's critical for any any retailer who wants to sell online to know what their costs are going to be for transportation and final mile delivery. Otherwise you really can't price your product appropriately to the public. So what were you doing before deliver right? And what really gave you the idea to start focusing in this category? Cause it was a great bet, you know, you're, it's definitely paying off. Uh, it's definitely paying off now, but how did you get involved with it? And when, what was life like before? So, uh, you know, my partners and I have varied backgrounds. Uh, so, I actually come from a finance banking background. I had a lot of experience in uh, investing in companies, analyzing companies, sitting on boards, helping companies grow. And uh, one of the portfolio companies that I had was a company called Transcore, 
which was a developer of easy pass type technology, you know, SunPass, uh, 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 electronic toll collection. They also bought a company called DAT, which was Dial-A-Truck. It was one of the first load boards that was ever in truck stops. So logistics and trucking had been on my radar since you know the, the early 1990s. Uh, my partners have backgrounds in technology development. Uh, uh, our COO actually built the system that's used today all around the world for trading foreign currency uh, for one of the big banks. Uh, our other partner used to run uh, final mile operations for a major retailer. So we had you know teams, uh, 90 teams a day running out of uh, buildings in, on the East Coast. Uh, so we really had a unique set of skills where we said, look, what could we do in this industry that's going to add some value? You know, we all saw e-commerce growing as a, a as a percentage of overall uh, heavy goods sales. It was slower than parcel goods because with parcel goods, you know, you could use FedEx and UPS to mm-hmm. make all your deliveries. And it was it was easy to plug in. There was nothing on the heavy goods side to do that. And so really, that was the, the, the genesis for us was saying there needs to be a seamless way for companies to sell and ship and get the final mile delivery done for heavy goods. And the coronavirus environment has really just made it clear that, you know, what we were thinking was the right idea. And this has really accelerated the importance because now all those brick and mortar stores who used to say, you know what, we take care of our own deliveries. Well, now they need to sell online in order to to survive, and and our connection to them through Shopify is really a lifeline, and it's a, a great way for them to realize that they can sell way beyond their their uh, typical trading area. So, Doug, before we let you go, let me ask you something because selling online, a lot of it is done socially, right? A lot of it's done on social media. So, if you could have one million followers on any platform, could be Clubhouse, could be LinkedIn, could be Twitter, could be Facebook, where would you want them? You know, so, so it, it's a great question, you know, because where are people going to uh, to buy furniture, right? So, you know, the, there's the retailers that we service. I think there you'd want to be something like a Pinterest. You know, you, you'd want to have something Ooh. where designers are going, where customers are going to, to buy furniture. Uh, but, you know, for us, it's beyond furniture and it gets to heavy goods. So it could be appliances, you know, it could be exercise equipment. There's so many different things that you could sell and and handle through Grasshopper. It doesn't have to be just one thing. And so anything that's big and bulky requires scheduling, requires care. You know, we always say, how many packages do you think FedEx and UPS open each day? in their facilities. You know, the answer should be zero, right? They shouldn't Mm. open and inspect anything. But for people who are handling heavy goods, most of what you're delivering, you've, you've opened, you've inspected, you've made sure it's in good shape before it goes to the, to that final mile uh, uh, consumer. You really want to make sure it's really in, in the proper shape so that you minimize returns. And then, you know, to the extent that things don't go well, having reverse logistics, set up is critical. And that's an, another thing we haven't touched on, but it's also built into to, to what we offer our customers today. Doug, that was a that was a very long answer to a social media to a social media question. <laughs> but my takeaway <laughs> is Pinterest. Up. And I didn't think of Pinterest. It was great. People who want to learn more though about Deliverite, where should I send them to? So uh, you, you can look at our, our site is deliverite.com with just one R. Uh, and you can also email me at Doug at deliverite.com. Uh, that's the easiest way. And I apologize for the long <laughs> It's all right. It's all right. I, I, I like it. I appreciate it. You're very thorough. Um, take care and have a great weekend. We look forward to having you back on in the future.
that'd be great. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. Thanks, Doug. Oh, yeah. It's that time of the week again. It's Friday. It's time for some good news, bad news. All right. I got I got some bad news for you. And this is this is a, a landmark. This is a landmark I've always wanted to see. Right. It is the uh, it's the world's largest pair of spurs. But I got some bad news. According to the Wickerberg son, the driver of an out of state semi truck who uh, he fell asleep at the wheel and he crashed through the, the world's largest set of spurs i think we have a picture of it it's 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 a sight that you just don't want to look at you hate to see it the good news is though the sleepy driver right he crashed at 3 40 a.m he was uninjured they said uh there's lack of skid marks they think he rode right through it he ended up going through a couple light poles he uh hit a three-foot rock wall and um but you know there you go there go those spurs pretty bad they were made by the welders at bearcat manufacturing maybe we'll have to make another pair of spurs for uh for that location yeah, the guy was walking around him looking like, where did these come from, right? When the, cop, when the cops got there, like, what? Who put these giant spurs there? Imagine waking up. Dude, imagine waking up with a giant pair of spurs, like, in front of your windshield, like, in this picture. <laughs> Telephone pole, something like that. But what the heck? Where did they, Who put these here? What a place to put a big pair of spurs. Good news, though. Also, there is is our our own Kevin Hill. I think he's gonna he's gonna put a bid in to buy those broken spurs and help help fund the the the, the replacements that are gonna be there. Uh, uh, other good news, though, Dooner. Right. So truckers have for for a long time, truckers, trucking companies, owner operators, independents have been struggling to you know raise rates. They're always getting the rates beat down on them. And if you remember last year at this time, uh, rates were not all that high. And moving forward into COVID, uh, they got a lot worse. And there was a lot of argument about floors on the rates, et cetera, and keeping those things up so they could earn a living there. But here's the thing. Rates have moved up another four cents per mile. Contract rates are up 12% as well. And a three-month outlook, according to the DHL Pricing Power Index, is looking even stronger at 75, which favors carriers. But, Dooner, you want to hear some bad news? Sure. You're a shipper, my friend. Mm. So you're <laughs> the high rates are can continue. But hey, take heart, brother. We've got sonar for you. Get some sonar. You need to look at what's going on in those markets and see the volatility and help navigate through these tumultuous waters of the freight markets that we're going through right now, my friend. Well, I gotta tell you something. You know what I hate? I hate a slow internet connection, right? And I have some bad news, right? right? You've been an AT&T customer since the 1960s, but you're upset with your slow internet speeds in North Hollywood. Um this is what happened to a gentleman there. And after he received no response, I, he's been doing it for years. For five years, he says he's been contacting AT&T and saying, when are we getting fiber? When are you dropping the fiber, right? He got so angry at their lack of response. And they even said to him, no time soon, that he took two ads totaling $10,000 in the Wall Street Journal. He's a gentleman, nine-year-old man by the name of Aaron Epstein, right? He titled it, Open Letter to Mr. John T. Stanky, CEO at AT&T. And part of his letter reads, for the last five years, as soon as I started introducing streaming like Roco and movies on TV, my internet service, um, although 3.5 megabytes per second, which is terrible, sometimes was only uh, 1.5 megabytes. So watching a movie through Roco is slideshows like 3.5 megabytes. That's like DSL speeds from like 1999. That's terrible speeds. Yeah, that's awful. 
<laughs> that is awful. <laughs> well, the good news is, so the good news is, though, he got it, it. His ploy worked. He he placed an ad in a newspaper in Dallas, Texas edition to reach the company's executive offices, and one in New York edition to reach their financial offices. And uh, they, you know what? They said, "All right, you know, stop. Take the heat off of us. Well, uh, we're going to see what we can do for you." And he said the one response, this is from Aaron Epstein, he says, the one response I got the most kick out of was in the Jewish Daily Ford, referring to me as a 90-year-old Kvetch, which I don't know if you know your Yiddish, but Kvetch means crank. And he said that just, that just had him torn. <laughs> oh, man. So, so they went with the, the, the Yiddish moniker, you're a Kvetch. <laughs> that is, you know, I, that's terrible. 3.5. Did, did, did they fix it for him or... Yeah, it sounded like they gave him a brush off, right? When they were just like, "Well, we'll see what we can do for you." Yeah, I mean, can yeah. can he just at least he got a, at least he got a laugh out of the Kvetch comment? That's good. I would think it's like don't, don't they have like five G? I mean, at that point, isn't five G just better than three point five megabytes? I'm pretty sure it is. I mean, four G sounds like it should be. It should be four G, right? That's absolutely. An, that's oh, here's a bonus one for you. This actually happened in Chattanooga, and this is just bad news. I don't know if there's any good news to this one. A tanker overturned with nearly fifty thousand pounds of corn syrup at the uh, Ridge Cut. One lane on Twenty Four East is closed right now because there's a there's a what is it, corn syrup? You know, they got the HFCS on the HWY. <laughs> yeah, they absolutely do that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. 50,000 pounds of corn syrup. How many gallons would that be? I don't know how much that would be, but that's a ton. Well, you know, wow. in, well, it's actually 25 tons, I guess. Hey, you know, in Boston, one time a big tanker of molasses exploded and it killed some people. You know, it's the, 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 like in the 19, that was like 1912 or yeah, something. Yeah, a long, long time ago. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like the, the, the city smelled sweet like molasses for like the next 20 years or something like that. Yeah, and that's where the term slow as molasses came from. Like, you know, it's kind of like an insult as an old person. Like, a, well, I don't want to say old. Maybe you can't say old anymore. Um, how do you even say that then? But an insult from long ago, an antiquated insult. Yep. A, a youth challenge? Yes. <laughs> insult that up. <laughs> An insult that has gone out of favor is uh, you're slow as molasses. <laughs> My dad used to say that a lot to me. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Monday, I want the truck. We got Jeremy Schneider. He's FSQA Business Development Director at Controlant. We got Jody Spaulding. She's the owner and director of operations at 5K Logistics. We have Robert Muffet. He's the EVP and director of operations at Legend Transportation. And Sean Jones. He's a CEO of Quick Loads. Shout out to Alex Campionate one more time. He's the one who has that boat that he's going to take us out on when we do uh, a podcast at sea, Michael Vincent. Sweet. It's going to be fun, man. You'll have to go out there. I'll take you to a great crab place over there in North Huntington Beach, too. Oh, I know. I don't eat seafood. I don't eat seafood. But, you know, they got plenty of... Uh... Uh, I'm going to take you anyways because I'm going to eat it. You can have a salad. All right. I'll get a Diet Coke and watch you. It'll be a good time. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, speaking <laughs> of... Hey, final, the final Freight Waves radio of all time is this weekend. Tune in and check it out. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Timothy Tuner. You can follow him at uh, Vincent the Dude. Take care and have a wonderful, 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 wonderful weekend. Yeah.